All right, how's everybody doing today? Hotep, hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecture writer, and historian. It is Saturday, July 22nd, uh, 2023, and we are live. So I wanted to discuss this topic because we talked about this on Friday, uh, July 21st on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Some of you all may have seen that um, segment and we'll discuss it on my Sunday night show, the African History Network show. This deals with the state of Florida and it deals with the uh, Florida Department of Education. OK, the Florida Department of Education and uh, new standards dealing with uh, teaching uh, black history, African-American history were released on Wednesday by the uh, Florida Department of Education. Um, and it's very, very disturbing what they're going to start teaching uh, in Florida. Now, uh, already there are a number of disturbing things that are uh, taking place in Florida. And we've talked about that uh, here on the show before. Uh, so if we look at this article here from um, NBCnews.com, uh, there's an article entitled New Florida Standards uh, Teach That Black People Benefited from Slavery Because It Taught Useful Skills. OK, New Florida Standards Teach That Black People Benefited from Slavery Because It Taught Useful Skills. And I'm going to show you this article here. We're going to look at a couple articles. Also, uh, I'm doing a uh, live free question and answer session at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time today at our online school, dealing with the 12 week online course that I teach called Ancient Kemet, one of the original names for Egypt, Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Okay, so you can register for that. We have the link right here in the thread of the broadcast. It's a free questions and answers session at our online school with me, historian Michael M. Hotel. And it's also at our uh, website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. And that leads up to uh, the class session I'm doing today at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is part of our 12-week online course. And you can register for all that at our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Okay, New Florida Standards teach students that some Black people benefited from slavery because it taught useful skills. The standards, were, were, the standards which were blasted by a statewide teachers union as a step backward were approved Wednesday by the State Board of Education. Now, we know Vice President Kamala Harris uh, made an emergency trip to Florida on Friday to speak at an, at a, at an event and denounce uh, these new standards and what's going to be taught. Florida's public schools will now teach students that some black people benefited from slavery. Some black people benefited from slavery because it taught them useful skills. Part of new African-American history standards approved Wednesday that were blasted by a state teachers union as a step backward. Okay, now the Florida State uh, Board of Education the Florida State Board of Education's new standards includes controversial language about how slaves developed skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit, how slaves developed skills 
uh, which could be applied for their personal benefit. Okay. Now, you know, I discussed this on, uh, on Roland Martin's show because there were at least 262 skills, trades, and crafts that African people had in this country from 1619 to 1865. Okay. That is true. All right. Now you do have some instances and I'm going to show you uh, a reference for that uh, information as well. Uh, the, the book of the other slaves by uh, Ronald Lewis. And it was one of the co-author. Um, it, it, it lays out 262 skills, trades and crafts that we had in this country. Okay. Now you do have some instances where, um, enslaved Africans were uh, able to earn money, save money, uh, buy their freedom, things like this. You do have instances of that, but, but that was not the norm. Okay. That was not the norm. That was not the majority of it. So to try and make it seem like the exception to the rule was the rule is an attempt to try to sanitize slavery and try to make it seem like uh, it wasn't that bad. Okay. Which is blatantly false. So this is a slide from the, the 12 week online course that I teach ancient Kemet, one of the original names for Egypt, ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. This reference comes from the, from the book, uh, the other slaves, mechanics, artisans, and craftsmen. The book came out in 1978 is by James Newton and Ronald Lewis, James Newton and Ronald Lewis. And in the book, they lay out 200, at least 262 skills, trades and crafts that African people had in this country from 1619 to 1865. Now, a, uh, a, a lot of those skills and trades and crafts we had in Africa and brought here to the U.S. And it was that that those African skills, that ingenuity, that expertise, this is going to be used to help build this country. Some other skills we were taught here. All right. So yeah. And yes, we were the skilled tradesmen. Yes. We dominated the skills, skilled trades during slavery. That, that is true. Okay. But what's going to happen is that um, after slavery ends, then you're going to have, a lot of these large labor unions that are created and the labor unions are uh, largely created to lock African-Americans out of the jobs that we have been doing for free for 246 years. Okay. The uh, national labor union is going to be created in uh, 1866, the year after slavery ends, the national labor union is created. And these labor unions are created and you have the American Federation of Labor that's created about 1875. These labor unions are created to lock African-Americans out of these jobs that we have been doing for free. OK, now that slavery ends, now we can compete for wages. OK, uh, now they're trying to lock us out of these jobs we have been doing for free. When we when you look at some of these uh, uh, skills that we had, we were anchor makers, we were artists, bakers, barrel makers, bartenders, uh, basket makers, beer makers, blacksmiths, bricklayers, brick makers, uh, uh, cooks, coppersmiths, etc., locksmiths, hunters, engineers. We were also jockeys. 
We were also jockeys. We were working with horses. When the first Kentucky Derby is ran in 1875, the um, winner of the, of the first Kentucky Derby was a 19-year-old former slave named Oliver Lewis. Oliver Lewis, okay? We are going, we dominate horse racing and we were also jockeys during slavery because if you had a skill set that your slave owner can make money off of okay especially if you uh competed in sports if you were a boxer okay if you were a wrestler we see that depicted in the movie Django Unchained even though I'm not a a, 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 a fan of Quentin Tarantino's films or Django Unchained but we see that depicted in the movie Django Unchained okay um and then when we look at uh jockeys okay you see that if we look at this this is from a, a lecture that i did dealing with uh when black men dominated horse racing when black men dominated horse racing so this is a picture of oliver lewis he ran the he won the first kentucky derby when it was ran in 1875. the kentucky derby which is the first of the triple crown of thoroughbred horse racing began uh march 7 may 17 1875 the odds were good that a black jockey would win the prestigious contest with oliver lewis becoming the first to do so now his trainer's name was ansel williamson ansel williamson was an older african-american man and he was a former slave as well okay so we were uh jockeys during slavery and when when the first Kentucky is and we were making money for our slave masters and slave owners during slavery. Now, when the first Kentucky Derby ran May 17, 1875, 13 of the 15 jockeys were African-American men. Among the first 28 Kentucky Derby winners, 15 were African-American men. African-American jockeys excelled in the sport in the late eight in the late 1800s. But by 1921, they had disappeared from the Kentucky Derby track and would not return until Marlon St. Julian rode in the 2000 Kentucky Derby race. So what happened with the black jockeys is the same thing that happened uh, after the Civil War ended and these unions were created. There was a concerted effort to push African-American jockeys out of horse racing because white men became jealous of the type of money that uh, we were making. As long as we as long as we were owned. OK, as long as we were slaves and and most of that money went to our slave owners, it was OK. But now that we're free, now we can make money for ourselves and the the jockeys were like really um some reports say they were like really our first athlete type celebrities in the african-american community okay so if we look at this uh excerpt from from the presentation i did dealing with black jockeys and we talk about this um a little bit in uh we, we deal with this some um, in um uh, the second class that I teach, uh, Black Resistance Movements from the Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement, 1800 to 1968. I teach that class on Sundays. Um, what happened to Black jockeys? Money is what ultimately led to the, 
to the demise of black jockeys, according to researcher Kenneth uh, Wisenton, a retired sociology, uh, a retired sociology and business librarian from the Martin Luther King Jr. Public Library and uh, Howard University's Founders Library in Washington, D.C. He says black jockeys did not just vanish from horse racing. They were banished as the thoroughbred horse racing industry grew in in America. So did the size of the winning purses of, of the prize money and the prosperity of the jockeys, the jockeys, the money that the jockeys were making, the lifestyle that they had. Less talent, less talented, less talented and envious white riders conspired to get in on the take. So white men became jealous of the type of money that these black jockeys were making. Okay. And there were, and there was a concerted effort an organized effort to force us out of horse racing. Okay. There was violence on the, on the uh, racetracks against black jockeys by white jockeys. Um, and uh, Jimmy Wink Winkfield, who won the Kentucky Derby twice, and he was the last African-American to win the Kentucky Derby in 1902. Jimmy Wink Winkfield received death threats from the Ku Klux Klan. You had uh, also an economic recession uh, of the period that shrunk the demand for black jockeys as waste tracks closed and attendance fell. Uh, you had uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896, U.S. Supreme Court case, which legalized segregation across the country uh so there, there were different things but there was a concerted effort by white men who became jealous to force us out of horse racing there, there's an article entitled negro jockeys shut out combination of white riders to bar them from the turf okay so what what's interesting is that when i see things like this coming out of florida they want to try to sanitize slavery and don't want and, and they want to talk about Africans gain useful skills but they then don't want to talk about how uh we are how we were discriminated against right after slavery ended when we tried to make money using those useful skills and we tried to negotiate labor contracts and and and, and we wanted to get equal wages and things of this nature OK, we're discriminated against when it comes to that. If we look, if we go back to this article from uh, NBC News. OK, and I'm going to show you a section of this article, because in in, in the uh, statement released from uh, the, the Florida Board of Education, they cite 16 African-Americans who they say were slaves and learned valuable skills during slavery and were able to make money after slavery ended. But. Uh, there's evidence that six of those people that they cited were never slaves. This is this is more nonsense coming out of the state of Florida. Now, other language. So uh, let's back up here. OK, so uh, the Florida State Board of Education's new standards includes controversial language about how, quote, slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. According to a 216-page document about the state's 2023-2023 standards in social studies posted by the Florida Department of Education. Now, other language that has drawn the ire of some educators and education advocates includes teaching about how Black people 
uh, were also perpetrators of violence during race massacres, how some black people were also perpetrators of violence during race massacres. Now, this is some more whataboutism. This is this is some more um, uh, like Trump, good people on both sides. OK. But what but now I haven't had a chance to read the 16, 216 page document. But what it appears that they're trying to do is they're trying to put African-Americans who were defending themselves against white supremacist attack, like during the red summer of 1919 or in uh, Black Wall Street, the Greenwood District, 1921. There were African-Americans who took up arms to fight against these white supremacists. It appears that they're trying to put them in the same category as the white domestic terrorists who are the ones who initiated these terrorist attacks. OK, if we look at this here, the, the language says, quote, instruction includes acts of violence perpetrated against, against and by African-Americans against and by African-Americans. But it's not limited to the 1906 Atlanta race riot, 1919 uh uh, race riot in, in Washington, D.C., which was during the Red Summer. The Red Summer was the year after World War I ended. 1919, you had about 25 major race riots all, all across this country because uh, white men, there's about 5 million uh, men who fought in World War I from the U.S. Um, overwhelming majority of them were white. When they left to go fight in the war, they had jobs. They left behind jobs. Those jobs are going to be filled by African-Americans largely migrating from the south up north during because the Great Migration begins about 1915. African-Americans migrated from the south up north and you're going to have factories up north who are marketing to African-Americans in the south, in the cotton fields, in tobacco fields, whatever it is, marketing to them in the south to come up north and work in these factories for better pay, for better way of life. And then also immigrants who were here, they're gonna get a lot of those jobs. So these white men come back home after World War II ends, okay? And then um, they, um, they can't find jobs, but they bring back home with them weapons from the war. They bring back military skills, skills in how to fight and how to kill. And this explodes in race riots across the country okay um it's been in, in the south and up north okay you chicago 1919 washington dc uh you have uh, about 200 uh african-american sharecroppers killed in the lane arkansas in 1919 they're fighting for better wages okay so you're going to see this explosion well african-american men who were world war one veterans because there's about 380,000 of us or so who fight in World War I. African-American men who are World War I veterans, we learn how to fight. We learn how to shoot. We learn military strategy. We learn how to kill. And, and we're taking up arms to defend ourselves and defend our communities against these white domestic terrorists coming in trying to kill us. Okay? Now, I haven't had a chance to read the 216-page document. But it appears that they may be trying to sanitize this history as well and then say, well, there was African-Americans who fought and killed 
uh, white people in, 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 in Greenwood in 1921. Well, we were defending ourselves against the white supremacists. We were defending ourselves against the white supremacists who invaded our communities in the Chicago race riot in 1919. So they talk about uh, 1906 Atlanta race riot, 1919 Washington, uh, D.C., a race riot, 1920, a Koi massacre. A Koi massacre happened in Florida, okay? Florida, a Koi, Florida, November 2nd, 1920. And you're going to have something like about 50 African-Americans who were killed. This was an election day massacre. Now, Governor Ron DeSantis just struck down the uh, funding that was going to go to produce a feature film or a documentary about the Okoye massacre of 1920. He doesn't want he doesn't want America to learn about that because the day before the November 2nd election took place, the Ku Klux Klan goes through the African American community there in Okoye, Florida, and they announce on a bullhorn, if you and I'm paraphrasing, if you vote. In tomorrow's election, there will be retaliation, there will be violence, etc. They're trying to intimidate them. African Americans go and attempt to vote anyway. Okay, we go and attempt to vote anyway. Is African American men because 15th Amendment, U.S. Constitution, 1870, 1870 guarantees the right to vote to African American men. This is um, well, this is because of segregation laws that didn't apply to African-American women at this time, even though you, you do have the 19th Amendment of 1920, which guaranteed the right to vote to women, but you still have segregation laws at this time taking place that segregate against African-American women from voting. We voted anyway. We attempted to vote anyway, okay? And then this massacre starts, Okoye, Florida. Ron DeSantis does, does not want America to, under, to know what happened there, okay? If our vote didn't matter, why did they work so hard to suppress our vote? Why did they attack us and kill us for trying to vote? When you go look at the history of Florida, 1868, Florida writes their first state constitution. I was on um, uh, Livonia Perriman's show on 910 AM Superstation WFDF here in Detroit, and we talked about some of the history of Florida. OK, and we had that video on our on our fan page, the African History Network and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotel. Um, the uh, Brennan Center for Justice has uh, some good information that deals with uh, Florida. And when Florida wrote their first state, const when they wrote their state constitution in 1868, um, this was three years after slavery ended. They create this felony disenfranchisement law and they write this into the state constitution and it was designed to target african-american men to uh strip us of our right to vote for life if we were convicted of a felony okay i hope they teach this in with these new uh black history standards okay i hope they teach this with these with these new black history standards uh in florida let me show you this quickly. Now, the reason why they wanted to disenfranchise uh, African-American men and lock us out of voting, okay? They feared our political power. There has always been a fear against the uh, political power of African-Americans, okay? They, they, and, and, and this is why I tell people we have to stop 
telling African-Americans to exercise your right to vote. Stop telling African-Americans to exercise your right to vote. You don't vote for exercise. If you want to exercise, you go to the gym and work out or you get some insanity videos or Tybo, you get weights. I got a home gym here in the office. I just finished working out before we did this broadcast. Okay. You vote for power. You vote for power. Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. Okay, politics impacts every aspect of our lives from the water we drink to the air we breathe to the food we eat. You vote for power. You vote to put people in office who can write laws and policies that are beneficial to you, your community. And what's good for African-Americans is good for America in general. When we change the purpose of voting, you don't vote for Dr. King. You don't vote for Fannie Lou Hamer. You don't vote for John Lewis. You don't vote for symbolism. OK, you you, you you don't you, you don't vote for exercise. Yes, we need to study Dr. King, Rosa Parks, Fannie Lou Hamer, John Lewis, Hosea Williams. Yes, we need to study James Meredith and Megar Evers and, and understand the civil rights movement, understand their fight, understand what they were fighting for, because this causes us to have a better respect for our ancestors, what they were dealing with, what they accomplished, what still has to be accomplished. But they understood that th this was about power. This was not about exercise. They understood this. Now, when we look at the uh, Florida uh, state constitution, okay, and uh, let's see, I need to close some of these tabs out here in uh, Google Chrome. Okay, when we look here at um, Florida state constitution, now this is from the Brennan Center for Justice, Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. History of Florida's felony disenfranchisement provision. Okay, it goes back to 1868 when Florida writes their state constitution. Florida dramatically expanded criminal disenfranchisement. For the first time in 1868, the, the state of Florida banned or barred people from the voter polls, uh, all, uh, from the polls, all people with felony convictions while at the same time creating a host of new felony crimes. The list of disqualifying infamous crimes was expanded as well. Now, they created, they, they, they expanded how many crimes were classified as felonies, trying to target African-American men. Blacks were disproportionately disenfranchised under the new provision because state policies at the time designed uh designed to control newly freed slaves through the criminal justice system okay now uh, here's what they really feared the state population of florida of african americans was 48 percent okay and they said that they were trying to prevent a negro legislature a negro legislature florida uh, felony disenfranchisement in the 1868 Florida State Constitution was part of a larger effort to prevent a Negro legislature. Post-emancipation legislators in Florida feared that freedmen, the former slaves, black freedmen, who then constituted 48% of the state's population would take over local government. They didn't fear exercise. 
They didn't fear symbolism. They feared us having political power. And, they're the, and many of these people today, of these Republicans, of these conservatives, of these MAGA Republicans, these people supporting Ron DeSantis, people supporting Donald Trump, they fear the same thing today. They feared that these African-Americans who made up 48% of a Florida state population would take over state and local government. They feared us having black political power. The 1868 Constitution contains several provisions to prevent this from happening. For example, it established a state legislative apportionment scheme that inflated the representation of predominantly white counties while deflating the representation of predominantly black ones. It also gave the governor of the state of Florida the power to appoint local officials, thereby preventing local black majorities from electing their own leaders. OK, so read the rest of this here. This is at the Brennan Center for Justice History of Florida's Felony Disenfranchisement Provision. OK, now um, give us a thumbs up. Give us a heart. Give us a like on this broadcast. Visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Join me at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time today. We're going to start about 12, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time today. Uh, I'm doing a free questions and answers session at our online school. Uh, this deals with the 12 week online history course that I teach called Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Then today at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Saturday, July 22nd, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm teaching class number four of this 12-week online course at our online school. You can register for the full 12-week online course. It's only $80. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime, so you'll be able to watch it on demand. Even a year from now, two years from now, you can go back and watch the entire course, okay? Uh, but you can join me in class. We'll have a, a free uh, questions and answers session. If you just want to register for class number four by itself, you can uh, register for $10. We have it here, uh, right here. Click on this link right here. Okay. All right. And then we posted the link is here in the thread of the broadcast uh, as well. Okay. So be sure to register for that. And I've been studying history 31 years. I'm a historian. I created the curriculum for this class. Uh, there's about 80 to 100 articles that we reference as well in the class. So I created the, the, the course content. OK, let's go back to this article here uh, from NBCNews.com. And then I want to show you quickly um, what happened. Uh, they, they list 16 names of African-Americans who they claim were slaves, who they claim learned skills that benefited them later in life during slavery. Six of those 16 people were never slaves. OK, new Florida standards teach students that some black people benefited from slavery because it taught useful skills. OK, now let's continue uh, quickly here. The Florida Education Association, a statewide teachers union representing about one hundred and fifty thousand teachers, representing about one hundred and fifty thousand teachers called the new standards, quote, a disservice to Florida students and a big step backward 
for a state that has required teaching African-American history since 1994. For a state that has required teaching African-American history since 1994. Now, it's also important to note that Ron DeSantis, so Ron DeSantis is going along with this. Ron DeSantis graduated from Yale University with a degree in history. Ron DeSantis knows better than this. Okay, he knows better than this. He's not stupid. He plays stupid on television. He has a degree in history from Yale University. Um, Andrew Spar, president of the teachers union in Florida, said in, in the statement, how can our students ever be equipped for the future if they don't have a full, honest picture of where we've come from? Florida's students deserve a well, a world class education that equips them to be successful adults who can help heal our nation's division rather than deepen them. Andrew Spar, president of the union, said in a statement. OK, now, Governor Ron, uh, he also said Governor Ron DeSantis is pursuing a political agenda guaranteed. Guaranteed to set good people against one another. And in the process, he's cheating our students. He's cheating our kids. They deserve the full truth of American history, the good and the bad. All right. Now, um, update. Let's see. The union said the teachers union said it is troubling that at the high school level, the standards that have just been released on Wednesday from the Florida Department of Education, the standards conflate the 1920 Okoy massacre when at least 30 African-Americans were killed for attempting to vote. It conflates that with acts of violence perpetuated by African-Americans, end quote. And in middle school, these, these new teaching standards require students to be taught that slavery was beneficial to African-Americans because it helped them develop schools, uh, skills. It helped them develop skills, the union said. Now, um, let me, I, I want to go to this here. A spokesperson from the Florida Department of Education on Thursday, uh, that was Thursday, July 20th, provided a response, provided a response to uh, NBC News questions through a statement from Dr. William Allen and Dr. Francis uh, Presley Rice, who are members of Florida's African-American History Standards Work Group, Florida's African-American History Standards Work Group. Uh, the new standards were defended in the statement as, quote, comprehensive and rigorous instruction on African-American history. We proudly stand behind these African-American history standards, the statement said. Okay, now, uh, quote, the intent of this particular benchmark clarification is to show is to show that some slaves develop highly specialized trades from which they benefited. OK, from which they benefited. This is factual and well documented. OK, so then the statement released by these two, OK, who are on the uh, who, who, who are members of Florida's African-American History Standards Work Group. And it's it's uh, a statement released by a spokesperson from Florida's Department of Education. It then goes on to list 16 African-Americans who they claim um, 
who, who they claim benefited from skills they learned during slavery. The statement continued. Some examples include blacksmiths like Ned Cobb, Henry Blair, Louis Latimer, and John Henry. Okay, shoemakers like James Fortin, Paul Cuffey, and Betty Washington Lewis, fishing and shipping industry workers like Jupiter Heyman, uh, John Chavis, uh, William Whipper, and Crispus Attucks, tailors like Elizabeth Keckley, James Thomas, and Marietta Carter, and teachers like Betty Stockton and Booker T. Washington. End quote. It's disappointing that some detractors would devalue the research from the work group and reduce it to, quote, a few isolated expressions without context, end quote, the statement said. All right. Uh, now, a representative for Governor Ron DeSantis could not be uh, immediately reached for comment uh, on Thursday. Okay. Now, here's what's something important. So I, I was looking at, I'm familiar, very familiar with Paul Cuffey. Paul Cuffey took African-Americans back to Sierra Leone, uh, repatriated back to Sierra Leone. Um, there's, a, there's an article from the Tampa Bay Times that deals with these claims coming from the Florida Department of Education. Okay. And the name of this article is uh, Benefited from slavery critics say some example some of the state's examples were never even slaves okay there, there's no evidence that paul cuffey was ever a slave there's no evidence paul cuffey was ever a slave benefit read this article here from the tampa bay times benefited from slavery critics say some of the state's examples were never even slaves the battle over florida's new african-american history standards grows more heated all right so we know booker t washington was was a former slave right but it, it, it they go and they talk about um responding to the criticism the department issued a statement thursday offering 16 examples of historic figures it said fit the description that they developed highly specialized abilities that helped uh that helped them later in life is quote factually is factual and well documented the department said asked for more information on friday the florida department of education cited the the colored patriots of the american revolution an 1895 book a book that came out in 1895 by william cooper nail and they cited encyclopedia of african-american history from 1619 to 1895 this was a book that came out in 2006, edited by Paul Finkelman. All right. Now, um, let's see other other sources, but other sources offer conflicting descriptions of the 16 historic figures and critics came forward to attack the department's claims. The Florida the critics came forward to attack the Florida Department of Education's claims. Several critics argued that nearly half the figures highlighted by the state of Florida were never enslaved Africans. Others who did spend time in slavery did not gain their skills from slavery. They gained the skills after slavery. 
okay? Quote, they just threw out a bunch of names to make it seem like something good came of slavery, said Andrew Sparr, president of the Florida Education Association Teachers Union. Quote, the reality of it is the facts don't back up what they are saying, end quote. He mentioned Booker T. Washington included on the state list as an educator. Booker T. Washington was enslaved but did not gain his skills until after being freed at age nine. Booker T. Washington worked in mines and as a houseboy before entering school, according to Tuskegee University, which Booker T. Washington founded in 1881. Georgetown University postdoctoral fellow Joshua Stein took issue with the state of Florida's use of James Fortin and Lewis Latimer as examples. The, 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 the Florida Department of Education said Lewis Latimer was a blacksmith born in slavery in 1848 and freed in 1852, and James Fortin was a shoemaker born into slavery in 1766 who escaped in 1784, okay? A museum dedicated to Lewis Latimer states that he was born to two self-liberated formerly enslaved parents. Okay, he was he was born free. Lewis Latimer was born free. He was born to two self-liberated formerly enslaved parents. He was self-educated. He worked as an inventor participating in the development of the telephone and incandescent lighting among other inventions. Now the Museum of the American Revolution describes James Fortin as a black entrepreneur born to free parents. James Fortin was never a slave. James Fortin served on privateer ships during the American Revolutionary War, which is uh, 1775 to 1783, and he became a wealthy sailmaker. Not only were they not slaves, Stein wrote on Twitter, they provided professions also their provided professions also were incorrect. Quote, so you're wrong on both halves, end quote. Other examples is that of Henry Blair. Now, I went to biography. So, you know, I looked at Paul Cuffey and 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 and, and uh, I was familiar with Paul Cuffey already. I was familiar with Henry Blair. Let's look at this quickly. We'll come back to Henry Blair. Let's look at this here on, on, on Paul Cuffey, because Paul Cuffey was listed as by the Florida Department of Education as somebody who was a former slave and gained valuable skills during slavery, right? And he went on, Paul Cuffey went on to become a wealthy African-American man. This is from blackpass.org. Blackpass.org, we use some of their um, articles in our class, in the classes I teach. They have 6,000 pages of documents dealing with, of articles dealing with African history and African-American history. Paul Cuffey lived 1759 to 1817. Here's, here's a painting of Paul Cuffey, okay? Paul Cuffey was born free, okay? Paul Cuffey wasn't a slave. Paul Cuffey is best known for his work in assisting free blacks who wanted to emigrate to Sierra Leone. Paul Cuffey was born free on uh, Cuddy Hunk Island, Massachusetts, near New Bedford sometime around 1759. The exact date of his birth is unknown. He was the youngest of 10 children. His father, Kofi, K-O-F-I, Kofi, also known as Kofi Slocum, was from the Ashanti Empire in West Africa. Kofi, his grandfather, his father, Kofi was captured and enslaved and brought to New England at the age of 10. 
Paul's mother, Paul Cuffey's mother, Ruth Moses, was a Native American woman. Kofi, Paul Cuffey's father from the, from the Ashanti Empire, was a skilled tradesman who was able to earn his freedom. So, so like I said, you do have examples of, of African people who were able to use skills that they that they acquired either brought here from Africa or learned here and use it to make money and acquire and, and gain their freedom. You do have examples of that, but that was not the norm. That was not the majority of them. Okay, so Kofi died when Paul Cuffey was a teenager. The younger Paul Cuffey refused to use the name Slocum, which his father had been given by his owner and instead took his father's first name, Kofi, and adjusted in, in anglicized, I guess, to Cuffey, K-U-F-F-E, but it really comes from Kofi, which is West African. Okay, read the rest of this here on Paul Cuffey. Paul Cuffey was never a slave. Henry Blair was never a slave. Louis Latimer was never a slave. So not only are they pushing a revisionist history, they're just making stuff up. They're just making, the Florida Department of Education is just making things up that are easily verifiable. They gave the, the Florida Department of Education gave the example of Henry Blair. The department listed Henry Blair as a slave who became a blacksmith and, and an inventor. Biography.com and several other websites state that there is no information indicating that Henry Blair was ever enslaved. He invented a corn planter and a cotton planter, becoming the second African-American to earn a U.S. patent. OK, they're just making stuff up. The department referred to Paul Cuffey, who we just talked about as a shoemaker and a ship owner born into slavery and escaped in, in, to freedom in 1781. According to paulcuffey.org, operated by the Westport Historical Society, Paul Cuffey was born in 1759, OK, to an emancipated slave. Having worked on whaling boats starting at age 14, he established a shipping business in Massachusetts. The statement mentioned John Chavis. John Chavis, as they mentioned, John Chavis as a fisherman born into slavery, who later was known for his work in teaching. The North Carolina Museum of History states that John Chavis was born into was born into a free black family in North Carolina, fought in the American Revolutionary War, and became an educator. Okay, read the rest of this here. Okay, so we have to take direct action against the Florida Department of Education. But this is an example of how elections have consequences. And I was warning people in 2018 when Andrew Gillum, the African-American mayor of Tallahassee, Florida, ran against Ron DeSantis 2018 gubernatorial election. You had these woke ass uh, black people in Florida, some of them, who said they weren't voting for Andrew Gillum because Andrew Gillum did not have a black agenda. And I said, Ron DeSantis has a black agenda. Ron DeSantis has an anti-black agenda. And an anti-black agenda is worse than not having a quote-unquote black agenda. But a black agenda is not what politicians give us. That's what we give politicians that we craft based upon understanding history, economics, law, and politics. We have to understand history to understand how to perceive these threats that are coming so we can stop them. We had the votes to stop Ron DeSantis. But they didn't do it in Florida. He's not going to win the presidency. 
His campaign is tanking. But this is the type of damage that white supremacists can, can do in a state. This is the type of damage white supremacists can do in a country. Okay? All right, look. I've got uh, 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 give us a thumbs up, give us a heart, give us a like on this broadcast. OK, join me at our online school because uh, I'm getting ready to do this free question and answer session dealing with the 12 week online course that I teach. Uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what it didn't teach you in school. We have the link here in the thread of the broadcast. Uh, also visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. The information is right here, running a little behind schedule today. So I worked out before doing this broadcast. Um, I've lost like about 28 pounds since October 17, 2022, working out. And I'm a vegetarian, been a vegetarian 16 years. I just turned 52 June 7th. A lot of people surprised I'm 52 years old. Then today at 2 p.m., uh, we teach class number four of ancient of our 12-week online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime. You don't have to be in class live. Uh, so we have the information here, and it's also in the thread of the broadcast. And uh, we'll post the link here as well for the full course, okay? So uh, register for this. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, et cetera. It takes a lot to uh, run the African History Network. There's a lot of work, takes a lot of resources. Also, you can uh, support us, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, and through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. And when you scroll down the page, you so we have information about our radio show, Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the African History Network show. And then our PayPal Cash App information is here. This is our official Cash App account. Click on the link, dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W. And uh, when you go to it, it'll say Michael and, and show my picture there. Um, and then uh, we also have um, the PayPal link. I uh, put together this graphic. This is our official Cash App account, dollar sign, the AHN show. Uh, there are about five fake African History Network Cash App accounts out there that use variations of our tag. I'm still trying to get them shut down. I had Cash App open up an investigation, but they are, they are slower than Heinz Ketchup. Okay, they are slower than Heinz Ketchup. All right, so uh, join us at our online school. Uh, support the African History Network. Hopefully, uh, you learned a lot today. Uh, let's see. Uh, Tavares Adams said, "Learning." Um, Mitchum Wolf said, this is a backhand. Next is the story of a good master. Um, let's see. Uh, Tavares Adams said, uh, that's why we can't let white folks teach us about our history. Um, well, the, the, the history of African-Americans needs to be taught in every school across the country. Dr. Carter G. Woodson said that. He advocated for that. It needs to be taught in every school across the country. It has to be correct, accurate history. And uh, you have teachers of all different races and ethnicities who want to teach correct accurate history you're going to find out that most of these uh africans weren't slaves at all they were indigenous servants or they came to north america to be landlords what well, depends upon which period of time you're talking about read chapter two of before the mayflower by Lerone bennett jr is going to be after bacon's rebellion in 1675 1676 in the colony of virginia and then right about the time of 1781 when they start they introduce 
the widespread usage of the term white in the colony of Virginia after Bacon's rebellion. Uh, this is when you're going to start having chattel slavery where you, you're a slave for perpetuity. It is true early on. Uh, you had uh, African people who were put into indentured servitude. August 20th, 1619, those Africans on the White Lion pirate ship codified slave laws did not exist in any of the 13 colonies at that time. We deal with this in the classes that I teach also. Codified slave laws didn't exist then, so they were put into a form of indentured servitude. They were released after three to five years, okay? But to say that all of them were put into indentured servitude, that's, 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 that, that's uh, absolutely not true. You have to start, you have to look at when chattel slavery was created, and that's basically going to be after Bacon's Rebellion of 1675, 1676. Bacon's Rebellion was a turning point because you had uh, uh, a rebellion led by Nathaniel Bacon, who was a wealthy uh, tobacco plantation owner in Virginia, and it was a rebellion made up of about 500 enslaved Africans, uh, uh, free African, uh, free African Americans, white indigenous servants, white uh poor white immigrants and they realized that they were all being uh, uh abused and all all um being mistreated on the tobacco plantations in virginia and they realized they had a common enemy it was the ruling elite in virginia the wealthy in virginia and they had this rebellion and they're going to burn down the town of jamestown virginia okay they, they, they burned down the town of Jamestown, Virginia during Bacon's Rebellion. Okay, so it's going to be after uh, Bacon's Rebellion that they're going to put laws in place to separate Africans, uh, 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 African slaves and indigenous African servants from white immigrants, white indigenous servants. And, they're, and the treatment of them is going to be codified and they're going to they're going to put laws in place that distinguish how they are treated to break up this alliance between the two of them okay because we had more in common than uh differences because of how we were treated read this article here we deal with this in my classes why uh america's first colonial rebels burned jamestown Virginia to the ground. Why America's first colonial rebels burned Jamestown, Virginia to the ground. Okay. I don't know if this was the inspiration for the song, the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. We don't need no water, you know, let it burn. I don't know if this was the inspiration for that, but maybe it was. Bacon's rebellion was triggered when a grab for Native American lands was denied. Okay. This is Bacon's rebellion. And they burned down the town of Jamestown, Virginia in 1676. Okay. So uh, read this as well. Register for the online classes that I teach. Support the African History Network. Uh, the, uh, the traveling angler said, you're doing a great job. Wish more of us watched you and Roland Martin. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate that. Roland appreciates that as well. All right. Look, we have to get out of here. Uh, remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, it's correct wrong behavior. Uh, it's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And uh, join us in class. Class number four is today. 
2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. You can register for that there. Okay. Talk to you next time. Peace.